0: Doctor! Put your phone in silence, put down your Doctor Who magazine and dress for the occasion because you're tuning into Pieces of Eight, the Doctor Who podcast that's totally dedicated to the world of the 8th incarnation of the Time Lord.
1: Each week we take a look at something from the Doctor Who multiverse that features Paul McGann's Doctor. And our eleventh episode isn't changing that formula. My name's Rebecca Chapman.
0: And I'm Kenny Smith. We're carrying on with our ongoing quest to talk all things McGann, whether it's his appearances on our screens, or his many appearances in books, novellas, full cast audios, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, or anything else.
1: This week, for the first time, we're entering the world of the BBC Eighth Doctor Adventures, known as the eight DAs to fans of the range and we're joined by the writer of one of those novels. For those not in the know, The Eight DAs were a series of 73 original paperback novels featuring The Eighth Doctor, published by BBC Books from June 1997 to June 2005.
0: In these books, The Doctor was joined by a host of companions, including Sam Jones, Fitzcraner, Compassion, Angie Kapoor, and Beatrix Trix Macmillan, and faced a series of lengthy story arcs.
1: This week we're joined by the writer of Escape Velocity, the 42nd in the range. This week we're joined by the writer of Escape Velocity, the 42nd of the Range. One very important to the ongoing arc, but we'll come to that shortly. So without further ado, could you please introduce yourself, special guest?
2: Hi, my name is Colin Brake. I'm a script editor and writer and author, and I wrote Escape
0: Velocity. Yay! We love Escape Velocity. <laughs> oh, I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> <laughs> We always ask our guests a couple of questions at the start. So what do you recall of Paul McGann's casting as the Doctor?
2: Well, like many, it would have been DWM and that picture of McGann at Longleat on the cover. I would imagine was the first I, I heard about it. That's always the way. I was very excited. It was an odd time in my life around the time of the TV movie. I was living in Brussels from April '96. So I was a bit frustrated that I'd left the country just a few weeks before the TV movie was going to broadcast, which was awkward. I can't remember where I saw it. We did get BBC One with Flemish subtitles in Belgium, in Brussels. But I I may have seen it there, or I may have been back in the country for a weekend seeing my sister and stuff. And i also fairly certain I had the VHS because it came out before the transmission. And I think I had the VHS, but I don't think I watched it. I think I managed to hang on. I'm not sure. I, I think I did. And uh, But then I watched it again and again because it
0: was a new Who. And uh, that's what you did, don't you, when you got new Who? <laughs> Absolutely. For those not in the know, perhaps we could explain a wee bit about the Eighth Doctor books, Colin, and what happened in the events running up to Escape Velocity.
2: That's a very, very pertinent point because... Escape Velocity was the sixth in a kind of mini-art. There'd been a kind of climax, like a season finale that Steve Cole and, and Justin had written. They wrote it together, did they? Ancestor Cell? No, Peach Angelides and Stephen wrote it together. And it was like a season finale, and it left the Doctor without his TARDIS, without his memory, stuck on Earth. And there were going to be these series of books eventually leading to him getting everything back together again which was great. Uh, So that was an exciting setup, and uh, the first book was The Burning by Justin Richards who was the consultant editor on the whole thing at the time and Justin set it up with the the Doctor sort of stuck on earth without his memory and all the rest of it. And then at some point Justin said to me, would you like to write a a Doctor Who novel? I was like, yes, at last. I'd wanted to for a long time. I looked at the Virgin line earlier and wanted to have a go at that, never quite got to it and I'd done a a short story for one of the Virgin short story uh, collections so Justin said to me would you like to do one I said yes and he said well would you like to do the climax of this sequence and I said yes then he told me all about the what had happened and I have to be honest I was a bit kind of oh I've got a doctor without a memory and a doctor without a TARDIS and we're stuck on earth I thought this is the worst of the third doctor and more. And I remembered Terence Dix had said, you know, if you're stuck on Earth, you've got like a handful of stories. It's either invasion or mad scientist or science goes bad. And I I wasn't very excited. But then he told me that I'd get to introduce a new companion. I thought, wow, that's good. And he got to tell me that I would finally get the TARDIS back. I thought, okay, I'm I'm on. I'm on. And so that was the beginning. So the problem that I then got was I was following Terence Dix and fan favourite Lance Parkin and I was like, oh great Let's, you know, follow that and the other thing was I hadn't really anticipated that the little mini series was going to be anticipated we can be seen as fans as being a sequence that the last book kind of had to pay off which I didn't really see it as I'm more so as a resetting a kind of clean sheet new start, here we go it's back. The Doctor's got his TARDIS and he's offered his companion, and which is why this, the, the book ends the way it does, with a, a sentence that's meant to absolutely call to mind the end of uh, the first serial, just end of episode one, when they land
0: in the Stone Age. Outside the time machine, a shadow fell across the sand in front of the TARDIS as something or someone came to investigate this new arrival.
2: So... That's what I was I was all about with it. it. It was a reset. It was a it was getting the gang back together again, and that was the way I approached it. And then when it came out, I think some people were disappointed that it didn't kind of sort of have a climax that ended the series. It didn't. Nobody sort of seemed to see it as here's your new start. But that's audiences for you.
1: I love Belgium. I love Belgium so so much. I've spent a lot of time there. You know, I love the culture. I love the food. And huge sections of the book are set in Belgium, so why did you set it there?
2: When the Eighth Doctor turned up, I was working on Bugs for the BBC and Carnival Films, and I was also living in Brussels. We lived in Brussels for three years. My wife, at the time, was working for the European Commission as a detached national expert sent over from uh, UK uh, British Standards Institution, to work in Brussels, so we were there. We turned up in in the April of the of ninety six. Uh, my wife was heavily pregnant with my son, and we were there for the next few years. And both my son, who was born that year, and my daughter, who was born in the last year, we were there. They were both born in Brussels, so Brussels was a was home. So we spent three years there. I loved it. It was fascinating. It was brilliant. I got to travel back and work on bugs in the week, and then go there for the week long weekends. Did a bit of working from home, a bit of remote working all, all those years ago. And, um, you know, when you come to write your first novel, you use what you know. So there's a hell of a lot of Brussels in there. That's where we started. So Brussels and uh, the Autonomous, the thing on the, the cover was a classic tourist attraction in Brussels. But I had to use that. And then there's other things in the book that were also kind of first novelish. It was like everything but the kitchen sink, everything I thought I might never get another chance to write a novel. So Brussels is in there, Oxford is in there. I, I never lived in Oxford, but I lived in and studied in Reading and spent a lot of time in Oxford, so, and had friends in Oxford, so Oxford was quite important. And ironically, my daughter is now at Brooks University, finishing an, a master's degree in Oxford. She's been there for four years, so that's a bit weird how things circle round. So that was also another element. And you just put things that you you feel you wanna, you know and care about in the book, so that's why, that's why that happens. So that's my Brussels. So it was a love letter to Brussels, really.
1: So what was the starting point for a basic story?
2: Basic story? I'm not, I can't remember if the title came first or, or the, the, the theme. It was definitely about escape. I saw the Doctor as having been trapped for five books, trapped without his TARDIS, without the ability to travel in time and space. That didn't seem to me very Doctor Who. The Doctor Who needs to escape back into the wider universe and do Doctor stuff. So... Escape velocity, as we know, is the speed at which you need to reach to leave the planet's gravitational pull. Uh, So that was a great title. And then you came up with, and this is 20 years ago we did this. I'm so chuffed that 20 years later, we've got two rich millionaires competing to go to space because that's in the book. I mean, you know, I'm not saying I saw the future, but that element is glorious. We had these two competing billionaires trying to use their different techniques to get into space, they were also trying to escape. So that was all all tied in thematically. And then I guess reaching back to my soap opera background, I I started out on EastEnders as a script editor and a, a writer. I wanted to find the sort of the human character stories to go with that. So then we have those two gentlemen who are trying to get into space have a shared link with a woman and a daughter, and then you've got a kind of family setup that's all involved as well. And there you go that that was the, that was the starting point.
0: Perhaps you just having mentioned EastEnders and Bugs. Could you maybe tell us a wee bit about your writing career up to this point and how you found doing prose compared to scripts? <laughs> oh, prose compared to script—that's a—that's a task.
2: Briefly, going back, I joined the BBC as a typist in nineteen. 19- Eighty-five, BBC Worldwide and I was just trying to get into the BBC and while I was there I was partly working with BBC video they to answer the phones yes that's not available on BBC video thank you bye Um, so and I was aware of of the interest in in the very few Doctor Who things that were coming out and I got to know the people in the BBC video office they weren't very sci-fi friendly connected so I wrote a couple of the blurbs for BBC video I wrote a couple of the blurbs, I think I did, can't remember now, they were early releases, not the very first ones, but they were the releases that came out in uh, late 85, 86, so some of those early Doctor Who videos. They did a, a release of, there was a Arthur thing they did around there, I can't remember what the title was, but they had that, and they nobody had written the blurb, and they said, can you write the blurb, and I wrote the blurb without having watched the video, so that was quite a laugh because I thought, well, I know Arthur, it's you know, there'll be a stone, and there'll be this. So that was quite, um, and I was so I wanted to get into to production, and eventually I got asked to go to, for an interview at, at EastEnders, and I was interviewed. I was shown around the the Albert Square set by Morag brain the script editor, and she was talking as if I'd been given the job, and I had to say to her, "I said, what is the job? I don't I don't know why I'm here." They just said, "Come and meet." Julia Smith, and Julia Smith had been called away to a a crisis meeting, so I was being taken around by Morag. And she said, well, we've been on the air for 18 months, uh, and we think we need a historian to sort of make notes of when things happened. And you've got some library experience, haven't you? I said, yes, I used to work in a library. And you might be the right person. So I was employed as the historian stroke researcher, 18 months in, this was what, uh, September 86? And they asked me... Well, they stuck me in a cupboard with with 18 months' worth of VHSs. And I just watched everyone making notes. Making notes about whose birthday was when and, you know, all that kind of malarkey. And then Tony Holland and Julia Smith said, would you like to be a trainee script editor? And I said, of course I do. So they trained me and I worked on Instend as a script editor for years. <laughs> and eventually I started, "I was writing odd scenes and doing rewrites. And I said, I'd like to write an episode. And eventually, long story short, I started writing in 1990 one I did the my first episode of EastEnders was a New Year's Eve episode so the first thing I ever wrote for television was seen by about nine million people which is madness. (laughs) madness and so from there I carried on worked on bugs I wrote and script edited and became script executive on bugs and then went on to do doctors and other bits and pieces of tv and along the way did some well I was it was Uh, Andy Bain and Justin Richards who got me to do the the short story for Decalogue and then I got into writing for BBC Books and I've done I've done about 18 or 19 uh, Doctor Who books now it's ridiculous I've done some Decide Your Destiny books
0: done some Big Finish
2: yeah been very lucky very
0: lucky. Fantastic because this story sees the Doctor restore the TARDIS which, as you mentioned, had been repairing itself since the events in The Burning, five novels previously. How much fun did you have doing that when the Doctor just returns and it's it's like the TARDIS powers up again and we get that wonderful scene just going in?
2: Honestly, my favourite bit in the book to write, it was because I was designing a TARDIS. I was designing my perfect TARDIS interior. And obviously, I I was influenced a bit by the TV movie, which I think had some great things in it. But I was kind of thinking of how it would look on TV, And I was thinking, right, well, we'll have these arches with different, completely different zones, areas. One of which would be the doctor's cottage in South England, (laughs) is the kitchen, looking out onto English countryside. And one would be the the library, and there'd be the the laboratory, like, he's the laboratory unit. Uh, So I had great fun.
0: The doctor was already an impossible step or two ahead of her. Angie realised that the darkness was becoming less complete. There was a slight glow of light appearing, but no obvious source. She stepped forward to stand next to the doctor, who was looking around him in mute fascination. She noted that his eyes were blazing with a strange inner light, as if whatever was happening around them was affecting him also. A brighter light appeared in front of them, brighter than anything else, making Angie put a protective hand in front of her eyes. She watched through the slits of her fingers, as a shape appeared in the light, a mass that somehow was slowly but surely growing into something more definite, a mushroom-shaped table. The darkness was almost completely gone now, and the walls were forming from thin air around them, giving the void some form. The walls were decorated with roundels and appeared to be made of pale wood. The room that was being defined was basically round, and at regular intervals there were arches leading into other areas. The mushroom-shaped table became a more solid object. It was now six-sided with a glass column at the centre of it, within which resided strange glass tubes. Angie watched amazed as dials and buttons and switches were extruded from the smooth surfaces of the mushroom, giving it the appearance of a control panel. Angie realised that the echoing silence that had greeted them when the door had first opened had been replaced by an electronic hum, which seemed to come from nowhere and everywhere at the same time. It was melodic and soothing, a sound that somehow belonged in this strange place. The doctor stepped forward towards the control console. A spring-mounted monitor screen had appeared from the impossibly high ceiling, which had also just formed. The doctor reached out a hand, and, as if in answer, a red-knobbed lever materialised directly under his palm. The doctor grabbed the lever and pulled. Angie looked around and saw the portal they had come through had become two thick, round old decorated doors, which were now closing. They were set up three small stairs, on the opposite side of the room from a pair of wooden doors that led to... Who knew what? There were four arches, two on each side, leading to massive alcoves. In one, Angie could see a mass of filing cabinets and chests. In another, shelves and books, ancient and modern. In another, some kind of kitchen, In the last, a mad professor's laboratory complete with test tubes and Bunsen and burners. Angie looked across to the doctor, who was grinning broadly, the grin of a man returning home after a long absence.
2: And that sequence was just my favourite to write because I was designing the TARDIS.
0: It's lovely. It's absolutely joyous. It's just reading it again, it was just like, oh yes, I can just like feel the joy. It's It's a proper punch the air moment. Absolutely, yeah, yeah,
2: it is. It's is. It's one of those, it's, it's Superman coming back in, in Superman 2 when he's, when he's come back to being Superman. It's, it's one of those, it's, it's a real, as you say, punch the air moment. I was really proud of that, I, I like that.
1: It, it is a beautiful, beautiful part. When Kenny and I were talking about Escape Velocity, we both thought it was a really good read with lots of the trademark Doctor Who humor and action. How happy were you with it in the end?
2: At the time, I wasn't that happy because I, I it was a struggle. Kenny asked me a minute ago about writing prose. As a TV writer, you can type interior church and then some location manager will go and find it and then they'll dress it and you don't have to do all the world building. You have to write every damn word in this. You have to it's, it's 75 80,000 words and prose is hard work. I love writing scripts. I love doing stuff for actors because actors bring things to it. I like the collaboration. Of working with TV or radio, even comic strips—it's it's all a collaboration. Whereas, although there's an editor involved, it's really just you and the and the word processor. And I found prose really difficult. I find I thought my prose was very clunky in that in that book. In places, I think I've got better, but it's hard. It's not my it's not my natural home. But when I reread it prior to, to doing this podcast, I was surprised. I was surprised how funny it is which is nice because I wanted it to be funny, but it it made me laugh out loud because I'd forgotten things. There wasn't a lot of joy in it. I'm quite proud of it, really. It's a first novel. It's not a bad effort. And now we've moved on, so we're 20 years later. That notion of that arc is less important. I think it it stands up pretty well. I'm I'm quite pleased. And, of course, there's Angie Kapoor, which is another little bit I'm really proud of in it. I wanted desperately to do a non-white companion. I thought that was really important. I thought it was outrageous that in 2001 we still hadn't had had one apart from Sharon in the comics and it it seemed to be just wrong. I've always been very interested in Indian culture. I had worked hard on uh, Sanjay Gita Kapoor in EastEnders I'd created those characters as a trying to get characters who weren't cliched Asian shopkeepers. I'm not sure I entirely succeeded with EastEnders characters, but then that's a huge shared universe and lots of people taking taking input. But that's why she's called Angie Kapoor. It was is, it was in reference to to the Kapoors I'd created for EastEnders, and that heritage I'd given her was was I, I, I was really interested in in sort of third generation immigrants who'd got that that culture, they were part Indian, they're also part British, that mixture that I think is a real, really interesting part of a lot of British Asians
0: these days. And I was pleased I was able to do that. I had never spotted the Kapoor link. There we go. Good fact. (laughs) Very
1: much.
0: Did you continue to follow the eight DAs before and after, Colin?
2: Yes, absolutely. I I, I had them all. I have them all. Do I still have everything? I did have a, I, so many books. I did have a clear out at one point. I, I think I've got a good good number of the uh, EDAs. Yes, I, I followed all the way to the to the bitter end and then and then went on to the new BBC novels. And yes, I have way too many Doctor Who books amongst my way too many books. So yes, I did and I continue to enjoy them. It was interesting what happened with Angie. The big mistake I made in Escape Velocity was, was the way I got rid of Dave because it it gave a weight of, of um, well, uh, that death hung around over Angie for a while, didn't it? Really, and it was difficult. And I wish I'd found a better way. You know, I should have. If I'd had him transported to the other end of the universe, so there was a sense she was looking for him, that would have helped. But it it, it was a bit morbid. I don't like killing characters anyway. I'm not, not too much of a nice person. I like people to live. But I I, I killed him off, and I. I killed off my my NFL character too. I killed them all off. It was terrible. It was all, wasn't really me at all. Um, but uh, I thought that like was was a bit hard. And I think um, was it Jacqueline who had it had the uh, the next book and she, she handled it really well. It was a thing that had to be dealt with.
0: Yeah, Earthworld.
2: Yes, that's it. Yeah.
1: Do you have a favourite ADA?
2: Oh, that's a really good question. Um. I don't think I do. I don't think I do. No, I I, I really like Father Time. Annoyingly, because it came out just before me, I thought, "Oh, that was clever." Oh, you're clever, Parkin. Um, I, I'm not sure that I do. I I, I loved them all at the time. I mean, I, I, because it was it was new Doctor Who. It was the way to get the next story. And for me, part of the joy of Doctor Who is continuing fictional universe is that you go to the next story and uh, every new book would be like oh yeah it's my favorite
0: yeah and how important do you think these books were in the grand scheme of things because for some reason they never quite engaged with readers in the way that the virgin new adventures had done with the seventh doctor but for me they kept doctor who alive for many years especially in those years before big finish
2: i agree i think that that keeping alive is the most important thing i think the problem with the BBC's range, I think, is it was perceived as being more trad. The Virgin novels had been, they were unleashed and, and, and unfettered and they just went for it. And you had, you know, extremes, you had really uh, heavy science fiction stuff, you had fantasy stuff, You, they just went for it and I think the sense of it was the BBC came along, took back the licence, which really annoyed everybody, because it was like these people are making good Doctor Who and you've taken the licence away from them and then those first books, the first Eighth Doctor books felt very we've gone back a step you know, Terence's book, lovely but very trad and very you know, old ground and those first few books and the way Sam was was set up as a as a companion it just felt a little bit old hat it didn't feel like it was driving forward like the the seventh doctor books for virgin had done and i think some of what went into resetting with the burning and then this was was an attempt to to get away from that and i think after escape velocity i think those later books were more ambitious and more like what we'd expect what we had from virgin but they were all i think in the fan mind collective fan mind they were seen as a step back which is a shame definitely
1: colin thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us on pieces of eight today
0: it's been a real pleasure yes great thank you again colin my pleasure so listeners remember to follow us on twitter we are at pieces of eight where we regularly tweet bits of silliness and previews of forthcoming episodes
1: And of course, we'll be back next week as we reach the penultimate episode of our first season of 13 episodes. Yes, that's right. Just like Doctor Who used to do in the old days when there were longer seasons on TV. We're going to bring you a two part finale.
0: Yes, that's right. We've got a special guest coming up. And it's someone who knows about the Eighth Doctor on television.
1: Our special guest for finale in an interview we'll bring you over a couple of episodes is Dun Dun Dun!
0: The man who cast the Eighth Doctor? The man whose determination to bring the show back led to the TV movie? It's only Philip David Siegel.
1: I cannot wait! So until next week, he's been Kenny Smith.
0: And they've been Rebecca Chapman. So let's set the controls for next time. Oh, there we go. Bye. Bye.